0: Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Blanchard Valley Health System is loosening visitation restrictions as the pandemic continues to subside, but are some precautions likely here to stay? Also this morning, let the dance begin. We talk a little bracketology ahead of the tip-off of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. In case you missed it, the nomination window for Findlay Rotary's Golden Apple Awards is now open to recognize dedicated educators who literally shape our future. And happening around town, Findlay's gliding stars are having an awesome dance party, and you're invited. We have details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, March 15th, 2022. In addition to being the Ides of March today, it is Dumbstruck Day, Everything You Think is Wrong Day. <laughs> According to my wife, for me, that's every day. <laughs> Everything you think is wrong. Uh, that is every day of the, uh, of the year. Uh, International Day Against Police Brutality. It is National Brutus Day, again, cycling back to the Ides of March. Um, National Peanut Lovers Day. Remember a few days ago, it was Peanut Butter Lovers Day. And this is Peanut Lovers Day. So lovers of peanuts, not peanut butter, but peanuts had to wait a few days. Um, National Shoe the World Day. True Confessions Day and World Consumer Rights Day. So, reasons to celebrate today, observances and such. So, the latest story, the latest bizarre story, uh, with this, um, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla and SpaceX, tweeted a bizarre challenge to Russian President Vladimir Putin yesterday, uh, challenging him to a duel, apparently, uh, with the fate of Ukraine hanging in the balance. (laughs) Elon Musk tweeted out, I hereby challenge Vladimir Putin to single combat with the stakes Ukraine (laughs) and and just to be sure that people knew that he was being serious he tweeted he tweeted again tagging the Kremlin in this and asked in Russian do you agree to this fight now Vladimir Putin did not respond but Dmitry Rogozin did he is the head of Russia's space agency who responded you little devil devil would only be a waste of time <laughs> so i'm not sure what's going on here uh with uh, elon musk uh, challenging vladimir putin to a duel <laughs> for with the stakes of ukraine but i mean there's a lot of a lot that we don't know about this story uh, specifically what type of duel are we talking what type of 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 physical challenge uh, what type of combat uh, is Elon Musk uh, talking about? Um, did Vladimir Putin even see the tweet? Uh, what was Elon Musk smoking? That's <laughs> well, we don't know. Uh, some of the other most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. This is the big question post pandemic. When are the onions coming back to Costco? Uh, customers, big box store. I don't know if you've ever been to a Costco, but customers, the big box store have long loved the food court special of a quarter pound, all beef, hot dog, and soda for just a dollar 50. And pre pandemic Costco also offered all of the toppings, uh, for your dog, ketchup, mustard, relish, and diced onions. But the, while the ketchup and the mustard, and even the relish have read it uh, reappeared. The diced onions apparently have not. And uh, Sam Holland, a, a dad in Atlanta, Georgia, who is known for his viral tweets, uh, tweeted out the other day, this pandemic won't be over until Costco puts the onions back out for the hot dogs. <laughs> and apparently, this went viral and now everybody is wondering when the onions will be back for the hot dogs at Costco. Uh, that's when uh, now uh, it says it's not entirely clear why Costco removed that particular topping. Um, but uh, and, and somebody else pointed out that it wasn't that they took just the onions away. They took everything away during covid, but they have slowly resumed other food court op- offerings. The question is, when will the onions be back? A Costco representative uh, told Yahoo News, while we have all been missing the onions for our dogs, we don't have a time frame when they will be returning. No other information is available at this time. So <laughs> that is the the big question. Everybody's wondering when will the uh, onions be back at Costco, then we can officially declare the pandemic over. This was kind of interesting. Uh, Some uh, research here that I saw from psychology experts who say the role that you played in your family as a child could shape the way you behave as an adult. Uh, Some of those roles, as broken down by psychologists, uh, for example, the hero or the perfect child is likely to be the firstborn, especially a firstborn female and is an overachieving child, given high amounts of praise and positive attention for their success. But the hero child risks becoming dependent on success in the future, meaning that they have a huge fear of failure and carry more responsibility than necessary. The peacekeeper or caretaker is most likely to be a middle child, and as a child, assumes an adult role by acting as a mediator between other members of the family. In adulthood, those peacekeepers can become people pleasers that avoid conflict. And so not necessarily a, I mean, that could be positive or negative, I guess, depending on the context, but kind of interesting. Another childhood role could be the scapegoat, most often the youngest or the second born and is the opposite of the hero child. They have issues fitting in or relating to their family members and can often get blamed for problems. That they have nothing to do with as an adult then they are likely to develop positive traits such as being highly conscientious and resilient but they are also likely to attract toxic friendships or abusive relationships and may be more likely to self-sabotage and then lastly the compliant or lost child is most likely to be a middle child and is overlooked or ignored by the family Uh, This is uh, one who retreats from conflict and will often spend a lot of time alone or make deep connections with family pets. Uh, Transition to an adult, and they are likely to be fiercely independent and good problem solvers, but lacking in social skills. And they tend to have higher chances of mental health issues like anxiety or depression. And then lastly, the mascot child is most likely to be the youngest in the family and is viewed as funny and light-hearted as an adult the mascot is focused on themselves and uses humor to cover serious unresolved issues so how does that compare to you and your family dynamic when you were young that was kind of, uh, kind of interesting uh, research there uh i don't know how accurate that is i would imagine it would depend on the person but interesting nonetheless And that's what we like to start with some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. You know, uh, in recent years, how vinyl has uh, made a big comeback in the music industry. Vinyl outsold CDs in 2020 for the first time since 1991. But a new report says CD sales are catching up and they may soon give vinyl LPs a run for their money once again. New data from the Recording Industry Association of America shows CD sales increased for the first time since 2004, last year, from 31.6 million to 46.6 million units sold. Meanwhile, vinyl sales hit 39.7 million units in the U.S. in 2021. It is thought that Gen Zers could partially be driving the sales of physical media as they are reportedly doing things like ditching their AirPods in favor of, quote, unquote, vintage wired headphones. But the last year was also a tough one for vinyl production due to supply chain issues. So that may be um, contributing to it uh, as well. Uh, What is noteworthy overall in 2021 physical media as a whole, vinyl CD. Rep uh, experienced its first increase in sales since 1996. Interesting. Uh, vinyl and uh, CD sales are up as a whole. And lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, here is your daily chuckle. <laughs> if you need a smile this morning, look this up online. I saw this earlier and it was... Uh, humorous and embarrassing all at the same time, real estate agents, you know, how, when they post a listing, you put up photos online. If you're a real estate agent or you've, you know, been home shopping, you see these fabulous pictures, uh, of, uh, a home, uh, up for sale and you, uh, they, they put up the pictures to, uh, display the home in its best light. Um, the photos for a house being sold in Atlanta is a big house. I mean, this is almost like a mansion has a huge backyard and even has a swimming pool. And so they, uh, uh, posted a drone photo from above to show the house and the massive grounds. It's a million dollar home. (laughs) Here's what makes it funny the pool is shaped like a uh, certain part of the male anatomy. (laughs) Something you probably don't notice when you're at ground level, but when you see it from the air, (laughs) it looks like a, uh, you know, (laughs) Uh, I don't know if I'm buying a million dollar home. It has three, uh, three bedrooms, three baths, a wine cellar, Um, But I'm not sure about the uh, shape of the pool. Uh, Some folks noted if you really want it to stand out, you need to uh, surround it with a little bit of foliage. It would make it uh, more realistic. So (laughs) (laughs) anyway, check that out online if you need to chuckle this morning. There you go. Some of the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day to get your Tuesday morning started. (laughs)
1: WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly sunny skies today and high around 60, partly cloudy tonight, low around 40. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has signed a bill that allows Ohioans to carry a concealed gun without a permit. Ohio lawmakers earlier in the month approved Senate Bill 215 and sent it to the governor. With the governor's signature, the law will go into effect in 90 days. The new law allows people 21 and older in Ohio to carry a concealed gun without a permit or firearms training as long as they lawfully possess the gun. Previously, Ohioans needed eight hours of training and a background check to get a CCW permit from their local sheriff's office. Many in law enforcement voiced their opposition to the bill, including a fraternal order of police of Ohio, and believe it will create a greater threat to officer safety. Get more on the website. Ohio U.S. Senator Rob Portman is in Poland as part of a bipartisan group of senators visiting troops and refugees.
0: He's also calling on the Biden administration to supply Ukrainian military with fighter jets.
1: They want the ability to have better control over the the skies in order to give them a fighting chance.
0: The White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan
2: says they are currently focused on anti-air systems. They think this will help Ukrainians
0: better defend themselves against Russian air attacks.
1: ONN's Tracy Townsend reporting. March Madness gets underway this week, and by this time next year, sports betting will be legal and regulated in Ohio.
0: Casinos, professional sports teams, and state regulators are planning for legalized sports betting to begin in Ohio on January first, twenty 2023. Ohio's Legislative Service Commission estimates sports gambling could produce more than $3.3 billion in revenue every year by the end of the
1: decade. That's ONN's Clay Gordon reporting. Hancock Public Health took its Think Fast Interactive Driving Safety Program to Liberty Benton Schools.
3: The students enjoyed it thoroughly, and we got to reach about 475-450 students, grades freshman through senior.
1: The Health Department's Jessica Halsey says the teen driving safety program goes over the dangers of driving distracted, impaired, and over the speed limit. Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM.
0: Well, now to our cover story this morning, Blanchard Valley Health System is loosening visitation restrictions as the pandemic continues to subside. But are there some precautions that will probably be here to stay, at least for the long term? Speaking with the Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Renee Smith, this morning. And uh, first of all, Dr. Smith, let's kind of uh, give the uh, overview. What is new and what isn't? when it comes to visiting someone in the hospital.
3: Sure, and thanks for having me, so we can uh, be sure to clarify this for our community. Uh, Blanchard Valley Health System has been looking at, um, you know, the landscape of this pandemic, Um, and what we are doing now um, is opening up our visitation, both in our ambulatory settings and allowing people to bring in visitors when they are seen in our clinic settings uh, and out in our medical offices. As well, we're allowing people to come into the hospital and see patients who are COVID-positive uh, with, of course, the appropriate um, protective equipment. Uh, so visitors will have to, you know, put on our gowns, our gloves, masks, and eye protection as they go in. Uh, but now they'll be allowed to visit their loved ones with covid
0: so, uh, obviously, we've heard the uh, uh, the news, the, the uh, case count uh, in Hancock County continues to decline, the number of serious cases, the number of hospitalizations, and that uh, seems to mirror the news that we have uh, heard around the uh, country. It does appear that we're moving from the pandemic stage to the endemic stage. Is that kind of the basis for making decisions on protocol moving forward? I mean, is that where you kind of see things within the community? community,
3: Yeah, well, you know, we're cautiously optimistic that this is sort of going to continue this downward turn that we're seeing now. Uh, so Blanchard Valley Health System is working to look at what they have in place right now uh, around the pandemic and protecting our community and our patients and seeing what we can wind down uh, as we see our cases dropping. Uh, But yet be prepared uh, in the event that we see another spike in cases to be able to ramp up uh, if necessary.
0: So you don't see that as uh, as out of the realm of possibility that we might still see uh, another spike, another variant, that kind of thing?
3: I I don't. I think we need to be prepared. Um, If there's one thing we know in looking back, it's that we don't know uh, what's going to happen next yet. Um, and so I think we need to be prepared for any eventuality.
0: And with respect to that, uh, that's why we kind of pose the question, are some of these precautions that we have seen over the uh, past couple of years, some of the mitigation measures that were implemented to prevent spread of COVID-19, as we know, and the data backs this up, also helped over the past couple of years to prevent all virus spread, the seasonal flu uh, most notably. And as such... Um, as you said, still requiring masks and, and such. Could some of those measures, like masking up, be here to stay long term? I would
3: think that that's a real possibility. I think that as, you, as we do look back, we see what happened with our seasonal flu numbers throughout the last two years. We can clearly see that they were down um, in cases. Um, We know that masking does help the spread. Again, it it, uh, protects, you know, the the particulate spray and contains that, which is where the virus particles like to be, and then certainly get into your upper respiratory tract. So it will be interesting to see how the country and CDC and, uh, you know, the nation moves forward. Um, But I would see it's a real possibility that as we hit our seasonal flu time, uh, certainly if we see another spike in COVID, There's going to be talk about bringing masks back as a mitigation strategy.
0: And even if that is not the case within the community at large, certainly it is easy to understand why that would be important in a hospital setting where you have, by definition, a lot of individuals who are at higher risk.
3: Correct. We have not changed our masking policy to date. Uh, you are still required when you come in, and our employees are still required as they work in our facilities to be wearing masks and eye protection. Uh, and that has not changed. CDC has made no changes in the recommendations within healthcare settings because we are taking care of the most vulnerable population in our facilities. And I do see that that will lag what happens with the general public recommendations
0: and uh with respect to that again like you were saying you know when you look and, and kind of evaluate where we have been over the past couple of years and there is always whenever we go through a uh, major event kind of that that stage where you evaluate uh everything that you have done and say this was good this was maybe not so good we could have done this better and so on and so forth certainly um it, it is possible to have outbreaks locally of anything from the flu to the measles. I mean, it doesn't have to be a pandemic of some new type of virus. Uh, Is there anything that jumps out at you about the way this pandemic was handled that you could say would uh, likely be part of a response plan to, like I said, outbreaks of of pretty much anything in the future? I mean, are are you to that stage yet where you're kind of evaluating the response and how do we apply what we learned moving forward?
3: You know, as I look back, I think what we did do is look at how did we respond to flu uh, epidemics? How did we respond to other situations and early in the COVID response attempted to apply those uh, aspects to this pandemic I think that they worked again, limiting visitation, Mm -hmm. uh, quarantine, um, those types of things. I think if we could have gotten to them quicker, maybe there could have been a little bit more impact, but I think they were impactful once we had our systems in place, uh, as a country now, um, yeah. And so I think there were lessons that we had learned from other epidemics that we did apply and, and were effective.
0: Yeah. I, I The reason I, I bring all of this up, I was reading just the other day and I thought it was uh, kind of interesting uh, looking back at the uh, Spanish flu pandemic, the early uh, 20th century, I think in the uh, 1918 or, you know, whatever, when that uh, came through. And and. Uh, one of the uh, points, and I, I don't remember, I wish I could credit the uh, author and, and where I saw this piece, but I remember reading it online. They said, you know, prior to that, you had public drinking fountains. It was uh, common to have a community cup that somebody, there was a metal cup that was uh, there next to a mm-hmm. spigot and, and everybody would drink from the same cup. It would very rarely get washed and, and things like and And that was commonplace at the time, something that disappeared entirely uh, from society afterward, and we now think of how unsanitary that was, and it just got me to thinking that there are likely some things that you will take away from this pandemic that were commonplace before that now you sort of rethink and and do differently moving forward.
3: Hmm. Uh, I think so. I think science healthcare has advanced quite a bit. Yeah. Um certainly in a century, right? So as we look back on this one, there are things we have already done uh, and put in place. Masking, mm-hmm. when I think about the H1N1. Mm-hmm. Um, quarantine, when I think about pertussis outbreaks. If we have pertussis, we we quarantine uh, people who are positive because of the risk to the most vulnerable population when there's pertussis. Certainly the same when there's measles. So I, I I think we have a lot of things in place. It's then recognizing the situation we're in, implementing to those practices, uh, getting buy-in from community mm-hmm. um, that... That really, I think, affects the trajectory going forward. When
0: it's appropriate to uh, implement some of those measures. Uh, Really interesting kind of evaluating where we are, where we are headed, and uh, if we, uh, again, are moving from the pandemic to the endemic stage. And obviously, uh, indications are that that is the case. uh, Some loosened uh, visitation restrictions at Blanchard Valley Health System. And you have more information on uh, the... Uh, uh, precautions that are still in place and such at your website right
3: correct yes and and this is a time of change uh, sort of when this started and we were ramping up as we're ramping down it is a time of change so always monitor the website that's where you will find the most up-to-date information
0: again uh, blanchard valley health system uh, uh, chief medical officer dr ramay smith with us uh, this morning dr smith thanks very much for taking the time we appreciate it yeah thank you Time to go dance in the uh, MCAA men's basketball tournament begins this evening with the first of the first four games and joining us to talk a little bracketology is Matt Shook uh, content manager for playohio.com and playmichigan.com part of the Katena family network of sites that track and report on all things sports gaming and speaking of which Matt I was always under the impression that the Super Bowl was kind of the holy grail of sports betting Uh, but you say the numbers for March Madness are actually much much larger.
4: Yeah it's it's an interesting way that we kind of break it down between the two, Super Bowl being the biggest single event wagered throughout the year. But when you add up all of March Madness, of course, three weeks or so, yeah. you're talking about uh, a much bigger output for, for March Madness in it's total.
0: Something uh, something like three times the amount of money that's uh, wagered on uh, uh, on the NCAA tournament. It is, I guess that's why they call it madness, I guess.
4: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a big time wagering event and big for customer acquisition across the country. Of course, Ohio will be feeling that next year. But like you said, three times the Super Bowl, three point one billion dollars wow. estimated to be wagered by the American Gaming Association. Our Play USA uh colleagues are forecasting three billion so we're right there with the aga so a lot of money of course coming down this month
0: you can see why uh, states are in such a rush to kind of get in on the action and speaking of which as you were mentioning ohio is in the process of legalizing sports wagering is there anything new to report on that front since we last spoke before the super bowl you know, Chris, the, the
4: process of rules and regulations, it's all pretty mundane, technical stuff. I think they're doing a fourth pass. They're, they're, they're dividing it up in chunks right now as they're doing the rules. And I think they've they've released a fourth pass of rules and regulations. Now, if uh, if a regular consumer who wants to bet on sports picked up the rules and regulations and, and dug through them, uh, I would be I would be praying for those people because it is, just, <laughs> it is legal ease as it comes. It's all about testing systems. And uh, just a lot of back-end technology kind of stuff, the checks that need to be put in place yeah. for this all to happen. So it's, it gets written and rewritten, and uh, stakeholders are giving a lot of their input, and then it goes back through the cycle again. There will be some public um time to to put some input as well but again for the average better it's just stuff that you're not really gonna gonna, gonna know or need to know but yeah late, late February they put the fourth pass of some of these chunks of rules through and uh, we're keeping an eye on it but really nothing timeline wise other than January 1st. Or, but we always kind of hold out hope that maybe you could get a lot more of the NFL season yeah. up here in the fall, but we'll know more about that this summer.
0: Is, at the end of the day, is there likely going to be anything substantially different uh, in Ohio's rules and regulations than any other state that has already legalized this?
4: Yeah, I mean it's open. I mean we talked about it at, at Play Ohio and Play USA these last couple of weeks. It might be the best sports betting bill in or law, I guess now in in the country. It's it's really consumer friendly. It's really industry friendly. The fact that you have kind of an open licensing system in a lot of ways. Obviously, uh, it doesn't have to be tethered to the four casinos or seven racinos in uh, in Ohio. Um, you got the the arena factor. The Cleveland Cavaliers bringing in Caesars for their own sports book at Rock and Mortgage Fieldhouse there too as well. So, I mean there's just a lot to like from a consumer standpoint that's going to breed a lot of competition, that's going to breed a lot of bonuses and things like that. So, Ohio's doing it right. They're going to have a lot of names um, and obviously it's important that we're checking it as we talk here in March, it's problem gambling awareness month and they've done a pretty good job of building that into the law as well. I saw 2% of the tax revenue From sports gambling is going to go to problem gambling prevention. I like that more than some chunks of money that other states might put aside, Mm -hmm. because if that that 2% gets to be a big enough number, then maybe that money might be needed even more than we we possibly could have thought going into it. So all good signs. And it sounds like Ohio is really doing it right.
0: Uh, so obviously Ohio, uh, will not be uh, taking part in the legal institutional, uh, gambling in, in March madness, but there will always be some friendly ra- wagering going on office pools and competition among friends. I know my wife and I fill out brackets every year just for bragging rights. So I want to pick your brain on that because I definitely want to win this year. Cause I, I haven't for a number of years to be honest. Uh, and this is a whole different animal obviously than just picking the winner of a single game. Obviously, is there a, a strategy?
4: Yeah, you know, I've heard that the 13s over the 4s the last couple of years have been really good. I know that 12s over the 5s have been kind of over the last couple of decades a strategy that people like. But I think that this could be a year, in my opinion, uh, of a lot of upsets. I mean, obviously you got Gonzaga that's kind of the cream of the crop right now, and that's pretty much understood uh, throughout. But I just, watching college basketball these days and over the weekend, I was catching up doing a lot of crash course with the conference tournaments. I don't think that the great teams are as good as the great teams of maybe my childhood or teenage years when you had mm-hmm. guys around in college basketball for much longer. So um, so I would say if you're looking at some of those eight nines over ones in the second round, that could be possible this year in years that they may, you know, sometimes that might not have been the case. Uh, everyone talks about how Tennessee kind of got jobbed a little bit with that number three seed. Uh, Ohio State probably doesn't like uh, their matchup, uh, at, and here at home with the, the seven seed and got a tough Loyola team. In the first round, sportsbooks actually have Ohio State as one and a half point underdogs. Uh, on Monday afternoon, well, but, uh, you know, and being the seven against the 10, that's really unusual. We know that Loyola has had a lot of success in the tournament over the years, obviously Michigan possibly looming in the sweet 16 for, for, mm-hmm. for Ohio. State as well, wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. But, uh, all, all, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different draw. I mean, I like Gonzaga a lot, obviously like everyone does. Purdue's got a lot of talent. Arizona's got the kid Mathurin from Montreal, uh, there, there's a lot. There's a lot of good players out there. Jabari Smith and, and Auburn, a number two seed as well. Uh, I like those NBA players to. to they're going to be high draft picks and and picking them in in long bracket runs. But there's a lot of different strategies out
0: there. When when you look at uh, those upsets, and that's what we all love, are those uh, you know Cinderella teams who make a run and who will come up with the uh, last second buzzer beater and and all of that. Obviously, as you mentioned, twelve and thirteen seeds often seem to be good bets to advance. Eight nine matchups are in the in the opening round uh are are almost even uh and obviously only once is a 16 knocked off or uh, knocked off a one um but are there are there rounds when upsets are more likely to happen i mean obviously the deeper you go the you know the long shot's going to be uh, out but i mean uh, is it usually first or second round uh that we look at you know the the more upset minded things you're feeling out of bracket
4: yeah, it varies by year, it seems like, right? I mean, some days you get that first two days that are the crazy ones, and mm-hmm. some days you get the best two. But I feel like it, it – it, and I, I there's no science behind this. I haven't looked at the numbers, but it seems like you should go with a bunch of upsets in that first round or a bunch of upsets in the second round. Of course, I mean, not the first four, That the second yeah. round. I know that they Right, right, that right. A little bit. But, yeah, I mean, it seems to me that um, if you want to go upset heavy, you might just pick a round and go with it. These things – seem to kind of snowball every year. And then, of course, you're going to have a couple of boring days where it's all chalk and the, the one seeds win by 30 points. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a little bit all over the place. But, I mean, going back to some of the locals, you got Akron in there as well. I'm a an American conference guy. Uh, obviously, they, they took care of business against Kent State and went on a weird weekend over in Cleveland there. But they're 15 and a half point dogs as a 13 against UCLA in the first round there. The early betting for the spread is all over the zips right now. 86% according to MGM, Bet MGM is going on Akron with that point spread. So yeah. that's one to watch that a lot of people like across the country. I know Ohio fans will be excited to hear about that. Too.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, I had a friend of mine uh, the other day uh, tell me that he does the, the bracket backwards when he fills out his bracket uh, picks uh, who he thinks is going to win it all. And then works backward. I have never done it that way. Is that, more probably, I mean, is that common? I, I had never heard of that before.
4: Yeah, I think, I think most people do like a little bit of a hybrid of that, right? Where you go, you, you might start with, okay, I think Gonzaga's gonna going to go. I think Purdue's going to make a long run. I like Shashevsky in his last year with Duke trying to do something. Michigan State's always dangerous. Mm. You get those kind of theories. So you might plot where those teams go on your bracket, Okay, but then you go back to the front and then you, you kind of just do the, the, and and then fill in from the front. So that's kind of what I've seen most people kind of do. Although, like you said, you could just go down the list on one side, go down the list on the other side, and then let your mind figure out how you're going to pick it as you go. But like you said, there are a lot of people that do that too, where they say, I'm going to pick these five teams. I like this, you know, what late seed Chattanooga is a team that a lot of teams people are talking about Mm -hmm. that could be a little run. So, you know, maybe they get to the sweet 16, we'll build that in and then we'll kind of work around it. So yeah, I, to me, It's like you kind of go into the middle and out to the outsides, and it's kind of a hybrid situation is how I do it.
0: Talking a little uh, bracket strategy here as we're uh, filling out our, uh, picking our winners uh, and such for uh, March Madness, the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament, uh, beginning later on this evening with the first four. Matt Shook, again, content manager for playohio.com and playmichigan.com, all things sports gaming. Matt, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you soon as you probably know by now, nominations for the Findlay Rotary's Golden Apple Awards are now being accepted to recognize the dedicated educators who are quite literally responsible for shaping the future of our community and the world. It is a comprehensive process to select the award winners each year, and in case you missed it last week, we spoke with the Rotary's Matt Hull, who is once again heading up the Golden Apple Awards program.
5: What we do is we we recognize um, three teachers from the elementary, the middle school, and the high school divisions, mm-hmm. and then one of them is, is the finalist, is the winner, and and they receive twenty five hundred dollars. Um, but but really, all all, all of them are, are winners. Yeah. Um, and what we're what we're asking now is that it's the time to time to nominate the teachers. So we're we're asking um, people to go out and, and nominate those teachers. It's a very easy process. Um, all we're asking them is just to describe the, the positive impact these teachers have, have had in their lives, and that's all that's all we're asking.
0: That's all the nomination process is, mm-hmm. and then you do all of the heavy lifting, and it is some heavy lifting. You go through a pretty comprehensive process to uh, evaluate and, and uh, whittle down the nominations. It is, and we ask a lot from the teachers as well. So mm-hmm. we ask
5: a lot of their time, um, kind of gathering some information for us to help Uh, whittle down to those three students, and then we put between uh, the Rotary Club and past Golden Apple winners, we will go into the classrooms and Uh, both interview the the teachers themselves and then watch them in their classroom and how they interact with with the
0: students now we mentioned over the past couple of years uh obviously education has been very different uh fortunately they're back to pretty much normal now uh but that was a, a more complicated process over the past couple of years it
5: was it was it was difficult and frustrating for for everyone and you know Teachers walking around their classrooms with the, with the <laughs> monitor, and we're on Zoom, yeah, so showing us that their classroom was was tough.
0: But. Yeah, um, but it, it's one of those things you carried through uh, the uh, pandemic and kind of you know. Um, again, made adjustments just like the teachers themselves exactly. uh, to continue to, to do that.
5: We felt like out of any years to, to stop, those years were not ones to, right. to stop nominating the, these teachers and, and, and showing them uh, why we care about them.
0: And over the years, there have been, there are any number of reasons, not just a one-size-fits-all. I mean, there are a lot of different reasons why these teachers stand out uh, among their peers. Exactly,
5: exactly. and And a lot of times, it is it's not only parents or students that are nominating it's their it's their peers it's the it's other teachers Mm -hmm. that whether they're they're mentors to to them um but they're the ones that are nominating and those might be the reasons that they're selected over the over the others
0: so uh kind of take us through the uh, process once you get the nominations the nominations are open now we'll uh, explain how folks can nominate uh here in just a moment but then what happens with those nominations from that point forward yep
5: so thank you um so Again, nominations will be now until April 8th. Once we get all the nominations together, um, we will let each of the, the teachers know that they were nominated. Um, from from then, from um, probably mid-April to uh, July, we will ask them to gather information. So the teachers will have to put together a resume. They'll have to ask for a nomination, uh, for a letter of recommendation from an administrator in their building. Okay and um, and then put together the reasoning why they should be uh, why they should be recognized. Um, then it's up to us to whittle all those teachers down into the final three.
0: Mm-hmm. You have uh, interviews with those teachers then
5: we do, and that will start
0: that when the school
5: year begins in the fall okay. and we'll do that within the first month of the school. We'll have the interviews with the teachers and we'll we'll sit in their classrooms and then in October is when the 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 ceremony is
0: so obviously this is a again just demonstrates how involved this process is you're starting now and the awards actually won't be uh for several months yet uh even into the uh the next school year for those who want to nominate uh a teacher and it could be for whatever reason uh, again part of the part of the interesting part of the fun uh, part of it is is you know, why people are, are being nominated. Exactly,
5: exactly. And that that's, it is open-ended. We're not, you know, asking you to write a whole long mm-hmm. narrative of
0: why you Or think. putting any qualifications on it. Exactly. I mean, you just, you know, yeah. because every teacher touches a student or a family in a different way. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So uh, that process is how? How do we nominate?
5: So uh, the website, finleyrotary.org. Uh, there's a link to the Golden Apple Award nominations, and we just ask for a few things. Name, email address of the nominee, and then name of, and the school building of the teacher, and then describe the positive impact this teacher has had on the specific student.
0: And again, uh, it's the Findlay Rotary, but it's not limited to Findlay City School uh, nope. uh,
5: teachers. Findlay and Hancock County. Yeah. Correct. So, uh,
0: and th- that deadline for nominations is? Uh, April 8th. And you can hear our full interview with Matt Hall about the Findlay Rotary's Golden Apple Awards in the Good Mornings podcast edition from last Monday, March 7th. You can check it out on the WFIN app or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the
0: odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A follow-up in the broken news this morning. Remember the story of the woman in North Carolina who had been fighting to be allowed to keep her uh, personalized license plate, the Red Fart? (laughs) The uh, North Carolina Division of Motor Vehicles has uh, relented, sort of. She has won her battle, kind of. Uh, The DMV says that she can keep her plate, she just can't display it on her vehicle. Uh, Carly Cindy of Asheville Said she she originally applied for the vanity plate as a joke, but she was surprised when it was approved and, and arrived in the mail. So she put it on her vehicle, but no sooner had she done that than she got a letter from the Division of Motor Vehicles saying the plate had been issued in error and is actually banned by the state of North Carolina. The uh, DMV did give Ms. Cindy the opportunity to appeal the decision, and so... She formed the Friends of Asheville Recreational Trails organization to help boost her argument, to keep her fart plate. (laughs) Friends of Asheville Recreational Trails, F-A-R-T. The DMV kind of saw through the effort to (laughs) circumvent their decision and uh, ultimately... They decided that she could, in fact, keep the plate. Originally, they said she had to mail it back and they would destroy it. They now say that she can keep the plate, but it is still not a legal license plate for her truck anymore. Ms. Cindy says, not only is she going to keep the plate, the the happy ending to the story is that she is going to keep hosting fart events for the (laughs) Friends of Asheville Recreational Trails, even though the saga of her license plate has ended. So. So there is uh, some good news (laughs) that they will at least that organization will continue. So that's been resolved. Uh, Sometimes you don't have to go very far to find the broken news. Police in Butler County, Ohio, which is down near uh, Cincinnati, say that they arrested a man on Sunday after the sheriff's office uh, found marijuana inside his vehicle during a traffic stop uh so they found <laughs> they found a large amount of marijuana, large quantity of a waxy substance uh money, and a prepackaged dill pickle <laughs> inside the car. That was the inventory marijuana, waxy substance, money, and a prepackaged dill pickle <laughs> gotta remind you of the Sesame street song. one of these things is not like the other. one of these things just doesn't belong. <laughs> Antonio Stanley, age 31, charged with trafficking in drugs and uh, possession of drug paraphernalia, uh, both fifth-degree felonies. No charge for having the dill pickle. Uh, Let's see here. Another follow-up in the broken news. Uh, Remember the elderly Florida woman dubbed the Hugging Bandit. She has been arrested. According to the Clearwater Police Department, the woman is now identified as 65-year-old Kathy Stevens. She would approach older men outside stores and pretend that she knew them as she goes to hug them. Now, lest you think this is harmless and she's just spreading some joy, spreading some hugs. uh, No, this is a bit more nefarious uh, when hugging the uh, individuals she would help herself to their wallets and their credit cards she would pickpocket it she is being held in the pinellas county jail faces more than a dozen charges but the hugging bandit fortunately is off the streets um elsewhere in the uh, broken news you know the conflict in russia uh has been uh, generating headlines even some broken news headlines. A Russian man has chained himself to a McDonald's restaurant in Moscow to keep the place from closing during <laughs> the UK- Ukraine invasion. You know, the McDonald's pulled out of uh, of Russia; and they closed all the stores. And it's been said from the very beginning that the people who will be hurt the most are the Russian people who have absolutely nothing to do with this uh, invasion. And you got to feel for them. A video on Twitter shows Luka Safranov handcuffed to the restaurant's door on Sunday morning and shouting in Russian that closing down McDonald's was an act of hostility against me and my fellow citizens. It's not fair. (laughs) <laughs> the, the protest reportedly came hours before the uh, burger, cane was, uh, burger chain was set to temporarily temporarily close its 850 restaurants in Russia due to the ongoing invasion. Other chains, including Pizza Hut, KFC and Starbucks, are also suspending businesses in Russia. But you don't hear about people chaining themselves to the local Starbucks. <laughs> but don't mess with our McDonald's. You got to feel for the Russian people. They're the ones that are hurting the most from all of this. And finally, in the broken news this morning, (laughs) sometimes siblings can be rather cruel. A woman by the name of Emily recently posted online the story about how her 28-year-old brother named his new rescue dog after her because they share a somewhat similar trait. Emily writes, my brother named his dog emily after me and i don't know whether to laugh or be offended the dog is a rescue but never learned its name because it's only about five months old so the rescue said you can change the dog's name and it won't be a problem so um turns out the dog is somewhat cross-eyed and uh, emily says i have a lazy eye and that's why my brother named the dog after me She also claims she doesn't mind the dog's name as she has learned to love herself for who she is. Though she did add, uh, he just did it as a way to wind me up. My brother and I have that kind of a relationship and we love to annoy each other. Uh, But I did not expect this level of commitment that he would name his dog after me. Uh, She also adds that mom was slightly upset. (laughs) There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report and this update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. The pandemic outlook is improving across the country, and health officials are cautiously optimistic about the downward trend in Omicron cases. A number of states and large private businesses have announced a reduction or dropping of mitigation measures. We all share the same goal: to get to the point where COVID is no longer disrupting our daily lives. Here at WFIN, we'll continue to pass along the latest information so you can stay informed. Thirteen thirty. WFIN, WFIN.com, and 955 FM. And now your daily download the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives, and the numbers on the NCAA men's basketball tournament, which we were talking about uh, there earlier, uh, indeed show why they call it March Madness. It is madness. According to the financial wonks at Wallet Hub, who crunched the numbers, companies will lose nearly $14 billion in productivity over the next three weeks by employees distracted by their brackets. $14 billion of productivity lost. Uh, Some of the other numbers, New Orleans will host the Final Four this year. It is expected to have a $200 million impact on the local economy for hosting the Final Four. Uh, the value, the estimated value of the country's top college basketball team to its university, that would be the University of Kentucky Wildcats, valued at an estimated 300, uh, $334.2 million. Think about that. If they were uh, a pro team, uh, bought and sold like, you know, pro teams are $334.2 million value of the University of Kentucky. Uh, the amount of annual revenue for the ncaa from march madness 1.16 billion dollars in annual revenue to the ncaa and of course the amount of money earned by the players who are actually vying for the national championship zero So happening around town this weekend, Findlay's gliding stars are having an awesome dance party, and you are invited. Joining us with all the details is Cindy Briegel from uh, Gliding Stars. Cindy, good to see you again. It's been a while. So, yeah, it's been, Yes, it's good. been two years, Chris. <laughs> it's good to uh, actually be doing an ice show again this year. So. It sure
2: is. It's just been wonderful watching the stars on the ice and seeing the volunteers all again and yeah. getting back into that stride. Yeah. yeah. So uh, during the pandemic, did you actually have to shut everything down? We did. We our, were a couple weeks out from our ice show, and then March 8th, in 2020 Mm. was our last skate. My goodness. And then we just decided as an organization um, to take a year off and till things settled out. And I think mm. a lot of our families felt very comfortable with that decision.
0: Well, and especially for this particular group of individuals, uh, as we know, many of those with uh, disabilities rely so much on a uh, on this routine. And so kind of a stopping, starting kind of thing would be right. incredibly disruptive. Oh, so. I,
2: I had many parents tell me, you know, they can't figure out why, why aren't we going anywhere on Sunday, you know, mm-hmm. and and working through those issues like, you know, a lot of us had to work through
0: things. Sure. Different world. Especially very challenging uh for those uh who uh, have other challenges that they're dealing with uh, already. So uh, the, the gliding stars, and I know we've talked about this before, but it's been a while. Mm-hmm. And for the benefit of those who don't know, it really is uh, fascinating, the backstory of how gliding stars came to be. It, it is. I mean, one person.
2: uh took it upon herself, Dr. Jean Folkert from the University of Finley. She was over the rec therapy program, and they needed ice time utilized. And she researched this program, found Elizabeth O'Donnell, brought her here, I think it was in November of 2000, to do an exhibition skate in front of the media
0: and – and elizabeth is uh, actually kind of created this She's program created, right she created the yeah. program
2: and did the patents on the ice skates and the walkers and uh for us we were lucky my daughter got to be part of that exhibition skate and, i was gonna say you've yeah. been
0: involved almost from the very beginning so from
2: the beginning and it was just amazing just for that 30 40 minutes what she was able to accomplish
0: with taryn on the ice and in that Half hour, 40 minute time frame, you knew that you had to kind of jump in with both feet, as it were, to make this happen.
2: Yeah, especially when you go into the world of fundraising and you haven't raised funds like that ever before. But uh, yeah, we were definitely knew that this program
0: was something that would fit. Our community,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it sure has. And for years, in fact, ours in Findlay was the only one in uh, quite a large region, and we had people coming to Findlay for this program from literally all over the state you're, and even beyond. You're
2: you're right, and uh, we were just talking about that the other day. You know, we had we spun off a chapter in Toledo, which is going to be having their ice show this Sunday at Tam O'Shanner, which that was exciting. But yeah, families will come a distance for it. And then we even have one that's in the Cleveland area. Hmm. It was started by a University of Findlay student that graduated and was a volunteer for wow. us.
0: So, so there is uh, quite the legacy of uh, Gliding Stars in Findlay, uh, you know, spawning off all of these uh, other uh, organizations as well. So uh, terrific! And and uh, for those who don't know, Gliding Stars is a, a, what is called an adaptive ice skating program. Talk about some of the uh, adaptations that you provide for those with special needs. Yes, we have specialized walkers, so we have
2: like. The regular walker, but we have them adjusted to the height of the skater. Mm -hmm. We also have a walker that we can put an individual that's in a wheelchair that cannot Mm. uh, stand, and they can still go out on the ice, participate, and have that fun and that socialization. We also have um, two different types of skates that are made to go over AFOs. We also have a skate that's made for feet that have a pronated, uh, more of a flat foot, and so with all that specialized equipment that's how we're able to look at that individual, look at what their needs
0: are and get them out on the ice. It really is quite literally thinking out of the box and how can we get everybody the opportunity to get out on the ice.
2: That's correct. And and then the other big component of that is that on-ice volunteer piece, you know, mm-hmm. and that's something that if we don't have on-ice volunteers we can't do what we do, yeah, and we've been because fl- it's
0: not just the 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 kids. Although it's uh, not just kids, I guess uh, we have adults. We yeah. have adults yep. too. Uh, it's not just the skaters. Uh, every one of them, uh, pretty much, has a uh, has a. I guess an escort. I, right, I don't know right. the,
2: volunteer. The, the volunteer. Yeah, and you know, like we were talking when I was just talking to Rex. You know, we've had Jay volunteer. Works here mm-hmm. for seven years. You yeah. know that once they get there and they've got that those skating skills, they really build a bond with their star. And s- those bonds, like just for us, we are excited because my daughter's volunteer from like. Five years ago was coming to the ice show mm-hmm. as a surprise. Yeah, so um, yeah, they they definitely bonds are formed and, but if you have skating skills in it, we look at who we match up with for the stars according mm-hmm. based
0: on that yeah so the ice show is where you put all of this together and show off to the community uh everything that you've been uh, you've been doing give us the details on this awesome dance party that's coming up on sunday
2: yes definitely we uh the doors open at 1 uh the show is at two you'll be treated to seeing costumes Music that you're not going to be able to sit still to, (laughs) and they will be skating to routines to the songs, and then we've got MCs from here. We've got Big Dave and Kahuna, who's going to be our MCs, and um, tickets are $10, and you can get them at the door, and then we're also doing our basket raffle that was a major fundraiser for us, so you can purchase tickets Four tickets for $5, and the baskets are all valued over $600 that mm. we'll be giving away.
0: That is uh, terrific stuff, and it all uh, cycles back into the uh, program uh, of uh, adaptive ice skating for those with special needs. Uh, would you, how many... How many skaters do you have involved in the program now? Right now we have 41 skaters. Wow. Our, our
2: numbers dropped a little, which I understood. Some families were cautious and not wanting to come back. Right. But, um, yeah, we've got 41 skaters and uh, 62 volunteers that on the That is ice. terrific.
0: And for the ice show, do they get the, uh, the chance to sort of... Um, help out in, in terms of planning this and, and their costumes and their routines and, you know, the things, yeah, all well, of that? Well, what we do is we
2: put out to all our families, you know, anybody have an idea for an ice show. Mm-hmm. And so one of our families, Libby Denarda, came up with this idea. And, of course, this is the ice show we were going to do in 2020. So um, <laughs> we've been waiting a while. Um,
0: but, yeah. You've got to have it down
2: to perfection by now. No, but, but so. definitely some of the stars do have input on, like, a uh, costume or whatever. Yeah. That's so. awesome.
0: That is uh, awesome. It's such a, a wonderful program and uh, a great afternoon of fun. It all begins Sunday at? The doors open at one thirty. 1.30, The show is at 2.30. Okay. So uh, we've got more information about it. Uh, and about the Gliding Stars program in general linked up at our webpage at goodmornings.net so you can uh, uh, find out more there. You've got a Facebook page, a website Mm -hmm. with uh, all of the details. So we've got it uh, linked up on our site. Again, Cindy Briegel with the Finley's Gliding Stars, their awesome dance party ice show coming up on Sunday. Cindy, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. And that will wrap up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on on the program at our webpage and that of course is goodmornings.net so check us out online coming up tomorrow on the program car prices have seen big increases since the start of the pandemic which means making the wrong decision can be even more costly than ever kelly blue book is out with their list of the year's best family vehicles we'll get the inside scoop so until tomorrow morning that is good mornings for this morning now that you've had a good morning go on out make it a good day catch you back here tomorrow